Good morning. How's everybody? I hear there was quite a party last night. Sorry I wasn't there. I miss being there. Yeah, well, um, it's okay. I had time to study and prepare, and I needed that, so um, it was good I was where I was. Otherwise, we might be praying this morning. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. There's a portion of the scripture on your handout, but I would like to read a more extended version or an extended passage in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 7. But I want to begin reading at verse 29 and go through 35 and a little back background here. This is um, the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And they're, um, they're discussing um, marriage and having a wife and, 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 and Paul's opinion, and he states it's his opinion, it's not a command from the Lord, but he talks about the benefits of not being married versus being married, etc. And I don't really want to approach this passage from <clears throat> um, the standpoint of marriage, because just about everybody, not everybody, but just about everybody in here is married. Um, but what I want you to be mindful of is what, what he's really saying in this passage about um, where our focus lies. You know, and he talks about where his focus lies versus where a person that's married, where their focus lies. It's not that their focus can't be in the right place, it's that they... Transform your body into the ultimate fat-burning machine. That's what I heard. Now we got commercials in the Bible. And we are going to talk a little bit about transformation this morning, but not that particular kind. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Rick. <clears throat> Right. All right, so let's begin um, reading. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. How many of you know that is true? It was true then, and it is true today. It is, I would venture to say, more true today. The time is short. He goes on to say, It remains that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and that they use this world, I'm sorry, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. Verse 32, But I would have you without carefulness and what he's saying is I would have you without the cares of this world or the distractions of our attention so that we could be focused on the things that we should be focused on the things that quote matter right the, the spiritual things I would have you be without carefulness he that is unmarried 
cares for the things that belong to the Lord and how he may please the Lord. He that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that's married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. In this I speak for your own profit, not that I might cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, those, those things that are beautiful, those things that attend upon the Lord, um, I'm sorry, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Verse 36, But if any man thinks that he behaves himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and needs so require, let him do what he will, and he sins not. Let them be married. Verse 37, Nevertheless, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has also decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage does well, and he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she, but she is happier if she also abides after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So what he's saying here in the, 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 the passage that I put on your handout that I want to focus on is this verse 35. It says, I speak this for your own profit, for our own benefit, for our own good. Not that he's trying to put a snare before us, um, but that we might be able to focus on and attend to and tend to the Lord uh, without distraction. When, when we look at this word distraction in the Greek, it's this word perispeo. And what it means and I put it on your, your handout, it means to drag all around. And I cannot help but think the old ball and chain, Zach. <laughs> you know, we, we think about dragging these things around us, these things that hold us back, these, these encumberments. And, it, and, and this word actually means to cumber or to be encumbered, to draw around, to draw away from and to distract. And he's using uh, this, this passage that we just read as an example of you know how we can be distracted in the world trying to take care of those that are around us whether it's our kids our family whoever it is it's easy to be distracted to be over occupied to be too busy about things and you know i i don't know how your days play out um, but i really struggle sometimes with distractedness with being um, overoccupied or too busy or rushing around or being in a hurry. Um, <laughs> Monica and I kid around about the fact that we live like one minute away. It's literally maybe what two or three blocks and yet I'm always walking in like two minutes late. Does anybody else do that? Or is it, it's probably just me. Oh Zach, thank you brother. <laughs> he, felt, he felt sorry for me and raised his hand. Um, 
and, and you know, so, so I, I struggle with that. And I also um, struggle with this. And I, I think it's just a function of the speed at which our, our society lives. And that is, and I'm getting better about this, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but um, I'll, I'll like get up and my mind starts going and I start feeling like I gotta go, I gotta get there. You know, I need to, I need to be there. What if the phone rings? You know, what if a client calls me and they need to talk to me and yet I can sit there all week and maybe the phone doesn't ring once or twice. You know, so I know it's just this, this uh, construct, this mental construct in my mind that makes me feel like I gotta, you know, I gotta be going, I gotta be moving, I gotta be doing, I gotta be going, I gotta get there, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta, gotta, gotta. Anybody else ever struggle with that? Mm-hmm. Pastor L. I mean, it's just, it's a challenge. And the only way I know to minimize that and to, and to press that down and to not have that is to just try to slow down, right? Um, just try to slow down. So I have a couple of quotes. I have a journal. I have a number of journals, and, and I'll, I'll hear these quotes or read them, and I'll jot them down in the front of my journal, and I'll flip to it and, and read it. And there's, there's quotes from everybody in there. But a couple, one of them um, says, Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. How true is that? And then one that I really also love, the busy man is never wise, and the wise man is never busy. I've, you know, how many of you would say you're a multitasker? How many of you take pride in multitasking? You know, I mean, a lot of people are like, I'm the ultimate multitasker. How many of you would say you are single taskers? Okay. How many of us are single taskers? How many of us have a task and we focus on the task at hand, we get that done, and then we move on to the next task? And then we move on to the next task. You know, if you're a, if you're a craftsman, let's say you're making a piece of furniture, and you've got three projects in front of you. You've got one here, and one here, and one here. And over here, you go over here, and you like turn the leg on that one. Then you go over here, and you have to plane that one. Then you go over here, and you have to sand that one. And then you go back over here, and you have to turn that leg. And then you go over here, and you have to sand that. And then you go over here, and you have to plane that. No? No. No. <laughs> you were supposed to plane that and sand that. See where I'm going? So, the quality of our work for the Lord is impacted by how we approach the tasks that He's given us. Okay? <clears throat> when I sit down to do my Bible study in the morning, I, 95% of the time, turn the ringer off my phone and turn it face down. Okay. And it's on my desk in my study because I've gotten in the habit of not putting it by my bed. Okay, I plug it in, I go upstairs, I go to sleep. Come downstairs, it's there. Usually I just leave it there and don't look at it. But my, my point is, is if it's there, it's going to light up. It's going to 
buzz or bing or ring or tone or whatever. And you, I'm just telling you, your body has a physical manifestation to the vibration or the ping or whatever it is. I mean, there's like an endorphin that's released in your body. And it affects your brain. It affects your ability to process and to focus and to concentrate. Anybody, I mean, anybody else? Yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. <sighs> Coffee definitely, you know, it, 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 uh, it helps us process more <laughs> if we want to do that. But um, there's another quote I read recently by a guy named Dallas Willard, and it says, you must ruthlessly eliminate, I'm sorry, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Does anybody ever find themselves in a hurry? <laughs> you know, it's like, when do I find myself not in a hurry, you know? Jesus in Mark 4.19 says, way back then, 2,000 years ago, he knew we were going to be facing this, and guess what? They were facing it then. He says, in the cares of this world, those things we care for, that we have to tend to, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, enter in and what? Choke out the word. Right? They choke out the word. And it becomes what? Unfruitful. And are we supposed to be fruitful or unfruitful? We're supposed to be fruitful. Paul the Apostle to the church at Philippi says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why do we think that the abundance of possessions and all these things, if I can just have this one other pair of shoes, if I can have this one other bicycle. <laughs> if I can have this one other motorcycle. <laughs> if I can just have it, Brother L, I'll be, I'll be there. Right? And how many of us know you buy that one other handbag? <laughs> and guess what? There's a new handbag that you want. There's a new pair of shoes to go with that handbag. It's like the domino effect. One thing leads to another, right? And it's the same way with bicycles or motors. You get a new bicycle, you got to have a new pair of shoes. Well, if you get a new pair of shoes, you might as well get a new pair of pedals. But if you get new shoes, you need a new kit to go with your new shoes. So you don't, you don't want things clashing, right? True? This is the deceitfulness of riches. Okay? 
<laughs> Monica laughs at me because I was on this roll there for a while trying to find the one perfect bicycle, the one that would do it all, the one that would be a good road bike, the one that would be a good gravel bike, the one that would be a good commuter bike. And Monica's like, honey, that's, there's no way you're going to do that. You're not going to be able to do that because she knows that it's just kind of my deal, right? I, I want one for the road. I want a different one for the gravel. You know, I want a mountain bike. So, but how much simpler would our life be if, you know, when it came time to go ride the bike, you put on the one pair of shoes you had, the one kit you had, and you got on the one bike you had, and then you went out and got the, what you're really after anyway, and that's the, the time alone with the Lord, the being outside, the wind in your face, camaraderie with your friends, a physical exercise. That's what you're really after. It's, it's not all the other stuff. Be careful for nothing. <clears throat> all right. Another passage I want us to read together, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah. I love Isaiah. I know Pastor loves Isaiah. Most of us love Isaiah. You love Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 17. And I want to read together uh, verses 9 through 14 through the end of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 17 beginning in verse 9. In that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bough and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, and there shall be desolation. Because, why? Why will there be desolation? Verse 10, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. Therefore, or because of this, you will plant pleasant plants and shall set it with strange slips. We're going to look at this in a minute. Therefore thou, I'm sorry, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants and thou shalt set it with strange slips. In the day that thou make thy plant to grow and in the morning thou shalt make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. The harvest will be like a heap and a desperate sorrow. Verse 12, Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them. And they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at evening tide, trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that rob us.
distractions and rushing around like the proverbial chicken with our head cut off robs us. It robs us of a lot of things. It robs us of peace. It robs us of joy. It robs us of time with those that we care about and those that we love. No, son, I can't go to the soccer game. i got to get to work. And I know it's Saturday, but I've got this big meeting coming up next week. You were just robbed of the joy of being with your child at a soccer game. You can never get that time back. It's gone. Okay? All this rushing around that makes us feel like we're accomplishing our mission and our task is very damaging to our soul, to our spirit, to our purpose. I mean, are you good at making disciples of other nations if you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off? People are watching you, right? There's a phrase I read recently called, and we should all ascribe to, to be this, an unanxious presence. An unanxious presence. Do you like to be around somebody that is super anxious? They wear me out. They make me anxious. Right? I mean, we've all sat with people that there you can just see this. It's like they're shaking. And you're just like, your anxiety level's going up sitting there. Am I right? I don't want to be that. When somebody comes into my presence, I want to be an unanxious presence. Something that they, when they sit, if they're all amped up, that they, they start coming down. Right? And when we're full of the Spirit, and we're not in a hurry, and we're not rushing around, we'll be that unanxious presence. And we'll be what the Lord has called us to be. Amen? Amen. The back of your handout is a bonus sheet that I just, I, I discovered this this very morning. How many of you prepare for your teaching ahead of time and then you get up in the morning and you go over it and you kind of tie and then all of a sudden the Lord's like, ding, 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 I add this, add this, add this, right? <laughs> it's like you get all the really good stuff right at the end. But I'm reading this passage in Isaiah 17, verse 10, it says, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, why have we forgotten the God of our salvation? Why have we not been mindful of the rock of our strength? Because we've been distracted. We've been rushing around. We've been hurrying. It says, Therefore thou shalt plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it with strange slips. Really? Set it with strange slips? What in the world does that mean? That's what I, when I read it, I'm like... Brother L, do you know what a slip is? Stre set it with strange slips. So, through the miracle of technology that's caused all of our lives to become way too fast, I pulled up the Bible study program, and I looked at this. And <clears throat> set is this word, zara, 
which means to plant, to bear, conceive seed, set with seed, sow, okay? So you'll sow your seed. And I mean, you can read the more here, okay? So, uh, yielding seed, sown to become pregnant, be made pregnant, sow. Okay, you'll set, you'll sow with strange, and the word strange there is this zur, which means to turn aside from, to be a foreigner, strange, profane, to commit adultery, to go away from, to be estranged, to be a stranger, to become estranged. You follow what it's saying? And then this word slips, so you'll set it with strange slips. Slips is this word zamora. And it, it simply means a, a twig uh, or, or, or a piece of a vine or a branch, a slip. So here's what I think is what they're saying. A slip, like if you were going to plant something, let's say you're, you're planting a grapevine, okay? So you dig a hole, put your seed in, cover it up with dirt, make a little mound, put a little TLC on top. Then you take this broken piece of branch, this twig, and you poke it into the ground. That's the slip. So that when this seed starts to grow and the vine starts to grow up, it has something to attach to. Okay? But what this is really saying, I mean, if, this is just what I'm, my understanding. Because we've forgotten God, because we are not mindful of Jesus, the rock of our strength and our salvation. When we go to sow our seed, we're, we're going to sow our seed in a manner that's strange and profane and foreign as if to commit adultery. And the things that we're sticking in the ground for our seed to grow upon, mm -mm, it's not the right stuff. Isn't that interesting? We don't want to forget the God of our salvation. We don't want to not be mindful of the rock of our strength. But none of us are immune to falling. None of us are immune to forgetting. None of us are immune to hurry and busyness and the cares of this world. Okay? None of us are immune. You know, lest you think you're not going to fall, <laughs> be aware. Because you're about to. All right, speed. The world runs at a frenetic pace. Frenetic. That's a great word. I think of, I think of the person that's sitting there, so uh, they're frenetic. You know, it's almost like this vibration going on, right? That's how our world runs. I mean, it, there's like this almost, in the spirit, there's probably this, like, like, like the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the strong rivers, that noise, you know, we call it white noise sometimes. That's going on in our world just from the pace of life. There's this, this churn, right? 
And how did we get to this place? I mean, back in the day, you know, the sun rose and man rose, right? Went off and did their stuff and the sun set and man set, right? There's a song, Up with the Sun, Gone with the Wind, whatever, whatever, making me crazy, <laughs> right? Quickly, I want to just share with you, and I left some space next to these numbers that I wrote down here. What happened in 200 B.C.? We'll have a little quiz here. What happened in 200 B.C.? Anybody? Anybody? Do I see First any hands? General open. First dollar general open. <laughs> 200 B.C., the sundial came on to the scene. You may be able to retire. <laughs> Sell that, baby. Um, the sundial. So now man was able to divide the day and to segment it. What happened in the 12th century? I don't know the exact year, but sometime in the 12th century. Anybody? Pastor Larry, daylight savings time. Um, you know what? You're not far off. Because in the 12th century, the mechanical clock was created. And it's interesting because, do you know who created the mechanical clock? The monks. The monks. Do you know why they created the mechanical clock? seven times a day prayer they wanted to be reminded seven times a day when it's time to pray okay the mechanical clock came onto the scene and it was simply a means to organize their day around seven times of prayer if they had listened the bible says to pray without ceasing <laughs> They wouldn't have had to screw all this up for us. Thirteen seventy. Anybody care to hazard a guess? Thirteen seventy. Thirteen seventy. The first public clock tower in Cologne, Germany. So now. Time is segmented for all the world. And you know, before we had the sundial and the mechanical clock and the first public clock tower in Cologne, Germany, time was natural. It was organized around seasons during the course of the year. And the day was organized by the rising and setting of the sun, the rising and setting of the moon. It was, it was natural. In the summertime, you had long, productive, busy days because you had more sunlight. In the winter, you had slow, quiet, lazy days, snowed in, you know, got light late and got dark early. It was a time to, you know, the, the bears took advantage of that and they hibernated all winter. 
You know, it was a time to slow down and to rest and to catch your breath and to recover. It was a time for the seed in the ground to die, right? And before the, the spring rains came and everything started to grow and time to get busy again, right? <clears throat> this one is an easy one. 1440. What happened in 1440? Anybody ever hear of a guy named Gutenberg? The printing press. Okay. 1440 was the printing press. That changed the world. Okay. For good and for bad. Okay. But it did change the world for sure. What happened in 1879? Your mother was born. She's not here to defend herself. <laughs> Fran, I know you're listening. That was your daughter. <laughs> this young, aspiring um, gentleman named Thomas Edison created the incandescent light bulb. Now what can we do? We had the printing press that created all these books. And now we could stay up all night reading those books. Right? We could just flick on the light. We could stay up past sunset. Interestingly, before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night. How, what does the average person sleep today? Seven. Yeah. The average person sleeps seven hours a night. That's four hours. That's 20%. 24 hours? That's, that's about 20%. Call it 18%. That's a lot less. That's not 2% less. That's, that's a lot less. If we become Amish, we can sleep longer. We could. The Amish are onto something. They are. 1960s. What happened in the 1960s? Daylight savings time. What'd you say? I was too, brother. Yeah, a lot of us. All the good people were born in the 60s, right? Does anybody remember something called the Blue Laws? Yes. Anybody? Yes. The Blue Laws? You don't remember the Blue Laws? The Blue Laws said businesses cannot open on Sunday. Yeah, those were called the Blue Laws. In the 60s, the Blue Laws became minimized. Some stores chose to open up on Sunday, get a little bit more money, make a little more profit. Some still exist today. But when, some do still exist today, very few. But here's the interesting thing. The blue laws were a law back in the day. And what it was, is it was, it was a government 
mandate. Basically putting a speed limit on the pace of life in America. I mean, it was, it was, it was put into place to cause people to have a Sabbath day. The government had that. No more. Okay, 2007. The beginning, summer of 2007 was the beginning of the financial crisis, but that's not what the answer is here. What else happened in 2007? Anybody? Home computer, no. Anybody else? Cell phone. Huh? That is the year the iPhone was introduced. You should have spoken up. Y'all are about to get married. I've always heard that the wife is always right. <laughs> I'm kidding. The iPhone. The iPhone. Now, I forgot to bring a book that had a bunch of statistics in it about the iPhone. But the average person, you ready for this? The average person touches their iPhone to activate it 2,617 times a day. Yes. 2,617 times per day. That's the average. Millennials, twice that. You just had something that was alerting us to this <laughs> beneficial whatever. Okay, I get the, you get the point. These mechanical devices Right? <sighs> Is it any wonder that we are as distracted as we are? Goodness gracious. Amen. I mean to tell you. Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received her, I'm sorry, received him into her house. Martha had a sister, Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was perispeo. Martha was cumbered about much serving. And she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all the serving? Bid her therefore that she comes and helps me. Jesus calmly, unhurriedly, in his unanxious presence manner, looked at her and he said to her, Martha, Martha, 
You are careful and troubled about so many things. But you know, there's only one thing that's really needed. And your sister Mary, she has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. She's chosen the good part. All these things that we work for, new car, bigger houses, bigger barns, whatever, that stuff's going to be burned up like stubble, right? It's all going to be taken from us. But those things that we do for the Lord, those treasures that we lay up in heaven, they will never be taken away from you. Jesus says it right here. They shall not be taken away from her. Time in His presence is the most important thing. Time in His presence. And for each of us, that can be gained in different ways. Okay? You guys live down at the beach. I mean, waking up in the morning with a cup of coffee, walking along the beach and the sun rising, to me, that is the presence of the Lord. Nature declares the glory of God. It does. Okay? When I go off on some of my adventures, a big part of it is getting out of this city and getting out with the wind in my face, the sun rising, the rain raining down on me, whatever it is. The Lord is in that. So for each of us, getting in His presence, time in His presence can be gained in a number of different ways. When I sit there and do my Bible study in the morning, it's time in His presence. Studying His Word, reading, asking Him to open my understanding and enlighten me to things. Yes, doll. So good. It's so, it's just, it, and it's, I think for us as a body, for what lies ahead for us and going throughout the nations and making disciples of all men, you know, we're small and, and we think, how in the world, Lord? You know, it, the world is so big and there's mm. so much that He has for us to do. But if we will just learn that place of rest mm. that only comes by sitting in His presence, sitting in His feet, being mm-hmm. in His word, yeah. are we going to be able to, to go forth in His breath? and do it without exhausting ourselves or stripping ourselves of the presence that, you know, the rest. So. That's so good, Monica. Thanks for bringing that up. Because this really, I mean, this teaching, the Lord is just, it's just an offshoot of what we've been experiencing this whole week. You know, I've been, we've all been here learning and growing and being fed and, and, and nourished. 
And, you know, I think about Fabian's teaching also about, you know, being quiet, right? I have to admit, <laughs> we're, we're standing up and he, he says, okay, I want everybody to be quiet, right? So we started being quiet. Do you know what I did? I started speaking in tongues out loud. Monica's like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. I, you know, it was just like my natural instinct. It takes effort to be quiet. <laughs> you know, it takes effort to wait. Wait on the Lord. How many of you love to wait? None of us love to wait. We want it now. We want it yesterday. So true. But we're constantly being conditioned to not have to wait. I mean, Monica and I are like, you know, we're getting ready for the, the conference. She's printing all stuff, getting ready. And I'm like, you know, we probably ought to order another printer cartridge just in case, you know, because I'm sure it's going to run out. She says, well, will you do that? So I get my iPhone. I touched it, one of my 2,617 touches for the day. And I ordered a toner cartridge. It was there that day before the sunset. I mean... I'm just telling you, it's not going to get easier for us to eliminate distraction and to slow down. We are going to have to work at that, to find, carve out that time to be quiet, to be still. It reminds me of Shay's teaching, too, because she was talking about the different parts of a tree and how uh, there's designated parts for different functions, and the tree can't exist without any one of them. And one of those parts is dying to, to, to function. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what that waiting is. That's sort of what that receiving of God is yeah. to form that flow. So we have to be able to be ready to position ourselves as a tree, meaning mm -hmm. know what p time our function is to move you know, into. That's right. good. Yeah, you can't, you can't hurry that process. That tree has a process, and it is what it is. Absolutely. And, and if we are as trees of righteousness, we can't hurry that process either. You know what I mean? We yeah. have to wait in in the season that we're in. And I think that, like you said, everything about what's going on around us is completely contrary to that to that signature of waiting on the process, waiting on things to germinate in their in their own timing. Mm -hmm. We have a predilection to try to want to get through it. First of all, we want to get through it. Yeah. That's so true. The, I mean, the world is con it's contrary. I mean, you think about nature, natural. Natural. Okay. You think about the world we live in, unnatural. Okay. I love nature. I mean, and Noah loves nature. I mean, Noah's favorite thing is to walk off in the woods. I mean, I think the kid could, like, walk off in the woods and be gone for a week and come back and be just, like, totally fine. The thing that we have to remember is that God is more active in the waiting than he is in the busy. I mean, he, I mean, he is literally 
present in the wilderness than he is on the mountain. Yes. It's, and I, I can say that the last year when I was all of a sudden not able to move the way that I was used to and come and go and do all the, go to Target and, you know, come to prayer and all the things, not the Target, just, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying, just yeah. ordinary life. Run to Whole Foods, you know, do what you normally would do. And I was, I was basically bound. Yeah. And I realized how, it, it's like in the waiting, in that process, he is more tangible, tangible. and he's working in that. And, and our part is partnering that. Mm. And to be so open to say, Lord, what are you doing in this? How are you perfecting your, your how are you perfecting me through this? And it's, it's so important. It is so critical. Can you say something? Yes, please. Um, I, I see this coming out in that relationship that Judas Iscariot had with Jesus. He was not content to wait on the process that Jesus was establishing. Jesus said, the kingdom is with you. But Judas was looking for something quicker. He was looking for something more powerful. So he took it upon himself to be a catalyst to move something along. Mm -hmm. And so typically, when we push God in our own agenda, we are literally partnering with the concept that Judas was working with. Wow. We good. actually good. undermine the thing that God is trying to do. And so, uh, the waiting is more important than you might think or have thought about mm. in being um, in harmony with what God is really doing rather than partnering with the enemy to undermine what he's trying to do. So, so our pushing, our anxiousness, our inability to wait is uh, actually going against God. Mm. So good. Mm -hmm. Dennis? Um, some time ago, I mean, many years ago, I read something that Abraham Lincoln said, which, you know, one of my distant heroes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, if, if given three hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first hour sharpening my axe. And the more I thought about that, down through the years, I thought, okay, he's making sure that whatever efforts he puts in have the maximum effect. And much of what we have done this week is sharpening our axe. Amen, brother. And being in God's presence is, in a spiritual way, sharpening our axe. Sure it is. Um, there were times when I was writing, uh, I would look at my watch and I'd say, I've got, I've got two hours. I can put two hours in this book and I'll you know, maybe I can get into this next chapter and I'd start that. And I'd, I'd spend uh, much of that two hours trying to get organized. And then some of it, you know, but if I stopped and forgot about the time, prayed, and it just began to flow, then that was sharpening my act. Spiritual. So good. And when we're in his presence, we're in the presence. Mm -hmm. We're not wasting any time. We're mm -hmm. sharpening our acts so that whatever efforts we put in are partnering with God the Father. 
through Christ, and our efforts are maximized because they're in line with His program. And uh, it has a lot to do with time that you're talking about. Mm. Because what we tend to do is grab the axe and start pounding on the tree without the effect that we want it to have because our axe isn't sharp. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this touching of the iPhone is just pounding on a tree with a dull axe. So good. A lot of what we do is that. And uh, if we first get into his presence and, and understand how we need to focus with his priority, um, our axe is real sharp. So because good. it's in effect, it's his axe. Mm -hmm. and, and the effort that we put in is what he wants us to do rather than what our thoughts and ideas are. And going along with what Larry has mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that fits in, to, in my way of thinking to the time, uh, the, the time thread that you've put out throughout this whole lesson. <clears throat> a lot of what we're doing is wasting time, not taking advantage of time. That is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. How many hours a day do we waste? Yeah. I mean, we're scrolling. doing something, but it's not. Yeah. We're hitting the tree with a dull axe. All yeah. In my in my business, I used to say that I'll, I'd, I would like watch new people come in. And uh, my manager would come and she'd say, well, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? And I'd say, you know, I see a lot of, you know, moving of the piles of paper. You know, I'm going to move this pile of paper from this side of my desk over to this side of my desk. And then I'm going to take half of this and I'm going to put it here and I'm going to flip a few pages in and I'm going to move it over here. But they're really not doing anything. Mm -hmm. But they feel like they're doing something mm -hmm. because there's some action going on. So there's some churn, <coughs> right? Yeah. Were you finished? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um... Let's talk about disciples, because we're called to be disciples. Mm -hmm. I stumbled across, and I've mentioned this before, the, the, the term disciple, um, to me it's come to be more about, when I hear disciple, my brain says learner, mm -hmm. right? And so a disciple is a learner. The, the discipline... The definition of discipline, I've put it on your, on your handout here. The definition of discipline, because I was thinking about somewhere along this week, pastor said something about being disciplined. And I'm like, man, discipline, disciple, you know, very closely related. And then I thought, boy, the world hates to be disciplined. Okay. Discipline, the practice of training a people to obey rules or a code of behavior with punishment being used to correct disobedience. Disciples. Disciples are in the practice of being trained by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to obey His way of living. And if we step outside of that, He may not punish us directly, but we are going to have punishment come upon us. Okay. When I think of the word discipline, I think of the word disciple. And what did Jesus have to say about 
discipleship. We see right here in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and teach all nations. Make learners of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe the way of living that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. When we read about Jesus and we see him interacting with other people, did he ever seem to be in a rush? Did he ever seem to be hurried? When the lady with the issue of blood reached out and grabbed hold of his garment, did he like jerk it away and say, woman, I got to get to the next town? When the man with the withered hand, Lord, you know, no, 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 I'm sorry, I got to get over here. No, Jesus, it's like, I, I would challenge us to ever see, did we ever see him in a hurry or in a rush? He was in a hurry to get the money changers out of the temple, right? I don't even know if he was in a hurry. He was, but my point is, is if we're to be learners of the ways in the MO, if you will, modus operandi, the way that Jesus lives and wants us to live, he was never in a hurry. Let's read at the top of page 3, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father except for the Son, and to whomsoever the Son wishes to reveal him. Verse 28, I love this passage. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you think of the word yoke, I think of an egg. Only kidding. What do you think of? When you think of a yoke, what do you think of? Anybody? A collar, right? I mean, in my mental imagery, I see two big oxen, like big ones, with this collar around them and this piece of wood connecting these two collars, right? And those oxen are working together to plow the field. That's what I think of when I think of yoke. Remember, from, from a contextual standpoint, this was, Jesus' day is very agrarian. Lots of growing and plowing and sowing, right? Very agrarian. In the first century, though, when a yoke was spoken of, it referred to a rabbi's way of reading the Torah. It spoke of the rabbi's set of teachings on how to be a human. 
how to live. It spoke of how to shoulder a burden. How you should handle the weight of life. That's what a yoke meant back in those days. And it's interesting, and I looked for the passage, I ran out of time trying to find it, but do you remember, I think it was Jesus, that basically he was chastising the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he basically said, look, we have the law, and y'all have made it so complicated, you've built walls so high that nobody can get to it. You've made it so difficult to obey and, and, to, and to live that it's, 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 man can't do that, Right? That was our rabbi, Jesus, telling the religious leaders of the day and, and, and demonstrating for his disciples and those that were around that would listen, that way, that's a heavy yoke, and you're never going to be able to bear that burden, right? Come over here and listen to the way that I'm going to teach you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, body, and strength. These are things that we can do, right? That's, that's what was going on here. Um, I know we're just about out of time. You know, we are not to be troubled. And I, I've, I've thrown this in here at the top of page three. Uh, you know, pastor said, let your word speak. He was praying. He said, let your word speak. And I want the word of the Lord to speak to us. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world is trying to give you peace. Okay? I want your heart to not be troubled, and I don't want you to be afraid. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing. You don't need to have all these cares. But pray about everything and, and, and have supplication unto the Lord with thanksgiving in your hearts and let your request be made known to God and He, the God of peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We talked yesterday during the, the receiving of the offering and I'm not going to go over this but you know Jesus said, look, I'm sending you out. Don't take any gold. Don't take any silver. Don't take your purses. Don't take your change of clothes. Don't take your shoes. Just take your staff and get going on the road. He knew that we would be cumbered about by, by all these things and that we would lose our focus. Uh, but we need to focus on the things that matter. Just like Jesus said to Martha, Martha, you got too much going on. Mary, your sister's doing right. She's sitting at my feet and she's learning of me. That's what we need to do. The last thing I want to talk about, and I'm sorry I'm running out of time to do this, but it's this concept of, um, of a trellis. How many of you know what a trellis is? Remember we talked just a minute ago about uh, putting the seed in the ground and pushing that thing to slip in, right? And then that grows up. If you've ever driven through the wine country and you look up on the side of the hill, you see all these things that look like a T, right? They put those there because it stands for terrell. <laughs> right? That's what I thought. But then I was humbled. And I learned that that actually stands for trellis. 
If you put a seed in the ground and you're growing grapes and there is not a trellis, that vine is going to not, it's not going to thrive. It's ultimately going to die and it's going to be cast into the fire with all the other stubble. Um, but I want, I want to, there's one thing I want to share with you real quick. I'm going to read real quick. The bottom of page three. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he, he purges it or prunes it that it might bring forth more fruit. You're clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself except that it abides in the vine. No more can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Without me, you cannot do anything. I'm going to flip to the page four, and I want to tell you that when we read on page three, and it says, I am the true vine, vine, is this word, I don't know if I'm saying it right, ampelos, okay? Ampelos, on page four at the top, it's, it speaks of a vine as coiling about a support. Mental imagery here, a vine coiling about a support, okay? The trellis, the tea that we see on the mountainside, you see these vines, they, they grow up and they grow around and they get up to the top and they branch out and they grow out and then actually like connect to one another and, and each, each of those vines does that. I would like to say that for us to stay and to abide with the Lord, we have to have this trellis. We have to have this support for the vine to grow on. So what I ask you and me is, are we conducting our affairs of this life, spiritual and physical, in a manner that we are building and constructing a solid trellis for the vine to grow on. Okay? Just ponder that, because I'd never really thought about that until I saw that word, um, a vine as coiling about a support. The trellis is almost like a cross. It is. That's a great, yeah. I mean, you know, a trellis, it's almost like, it, it may darn be near a cross, right? Maybe they... You know, maybe it's a cross like that. My point is, is, um, and I'm going I'm to read here, a vine coils, coils around and grows upon a support known as a trellis for a vine to thrive and to grow and to bear up and to bear fruit and to hold up, right? Because when you get fruit on there, it starts getting heavy. <clears throat> it has to grow on a solid structure or a trellis. For us, a trellis is a way of life or a rule of life. And we need to be sure that our schedules are aligned with our values. That sounds kind of Stephen Covey-ish, but you know, what we value is the Lord and His ways and what He wants to do in our life. We have to align our activities, our duties, everything we sink down into the soil of our lives has to be aligned with those things that we value. 
And, and that you could look at as a rule of life. Your rule for living is your rule for living aligned with your values. Are our disciplines organized into a structure that Jesus can grow on? That fosters the growth of that vine and thereby fosters the fruitfulness of those branches on the vine. It's crucial that we pay attention to this concept of a trellis. It's crucial. I'm convinced that to be transformed anew into the image of Christ, to be changed and to change the world around us, to make disciples, to make learners of Christ, it requires a reordering of that structure, that trellis in our lives. We need to look at periodically and, and reorder the routine of our days, our disciplines, those things we do, that rule of life. We need to pay attention to it and review it periodically because I fear that many of us are too busy and in too much of a hurry to truly abide. How many of us say, I don't have the time for that? I'm too busy. I got to get here. I got to go there. I got to do this. I got to do that. Just listen to yourself speak. I mean, if, you're, if this is you, it's all of us. You know, I'm too busy. I can't do that. I don't have enough time. Man, let, that, let your spirit be mindful of when you say that. Okay? Because if you're saying that, you need to reorder the trellis. Okay? You need to reorder the trellis. And this is nothing new, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll leave with this, but um, we read in Luke 9, 57 to 62, It came to pass, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looked at him and said, Okay, um, foxes have holes, birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And so this man looked at him and he said, I'm sorry. And so Jesus looked at another one. He said, hey, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. His dad had died, I suppose. Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus looked at him and said, let the dead bury their dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. That's a hard word. Another one looked at him and said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but first let me go and bid them farewell that are at home at my house. Let me go tell my family goodbye before I get on that ship to Africa. Jesus said to him, look, no man having put his hand to the plow, no man having set to do my work can look back and be fit for the kingdom. Okay? Being busy, having a lot going on, being encumbered about by too many things like Martha, nothing new. Okay? I think the, 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 the number of things maybe have, have multiplied exponentially but it's nothing new. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. The last part on here uh, I'll leave to you, but the one thing I'll say is, it's interesting in Job, I love the book of Job, but you know you have Job going through this trial, and he has his three friends that come, and they're supposed to help him and console him and speak courage, encouraging words. They don't do that. Interesting, though, and you may not know this, but at the end of the book of Job, there enters this youngster named Elihu. Okay? Elihu was a youngster. 
He even said, I haven't said anything because I'm letting all the old people speak first. They're supposed to be full of wisdom, gray hairs and all. You know, I didn't want to jump in there because I'm, you know, I'm a youngster. At the end of the day, you know, the Lord looked at Job's three friends and he rebuked them. He made them like go do, you know, make offerings and sacrifices to, to atone for the, their sin of not helping their brother Job. They, they were called to task by the Lord. The Lord doesn't say a word about Elihu. He did not chastise him. And, you know, I, I think about discipline today, and the world does not like discipline, especially our younger generation. They don't want anybody telling them what to do, okay? Um, but we need discipline. It's a, it's a normal part of the process. And um, I'm going to stop there. So I'm sorry I went over, y'all. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for your word, for your wisdom. Lord, help us to just glean everything we can. Every day I sit down and read your word, Lord, I, I learn something new. It's alive. We thank you for it. Bless everybody in this place today. Bless this service. Bless Brother Larry as he brings forth your word to us this morning, Lord. We just love you. We thank you for fellowship and community and commune. And um, thank you for being with us this morning as we study your word together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah.